Um, but we've been in this series at Celebration Church where we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're looking at the message of Jesus. It's called the message of Jesus, and we're looking at the words that Jesus had to say to us. And last week, we found ourselves in Matthew chapter 7. And it's verses 13 and 14, and it's kind of a disturbing little text for us. And it's not the most comfortable section of Scripture, and it's not the way we like to think of things, and the way our ears like to hear them, and the way our culture moves, and our preferences, and all those things. But yet, this is what Jesus had to say, and we read it. It says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This really flies in our face. And it's not easy for our modern or postmodern or enlightened ears to hear. And what's been taught or what's been caught or what's been preferred or what's been inferred or whatever it is, what we've got is more of a just believe type of Christianity where if you just believe, then that's good enough. So we just got to get people to believe. And that the road to destruction, it's just a narrow road, only a few will find it. Maybe guys like Hitler or whatever musician you don't like or whatever, you know, that type of thing. Like those guys might find that path, but it's just a few. And that the road to life is broad and it's wide and that many will find that path. Well, not according to Jesus. According to Jesus, the opposite is true. That the road to life is a narrow path that few will find and few are actually going to walk down. So what does that road look like that we're supposed to be on? And that's what I want to look at for a little while this morning. Uh, We find ourselves in summer Olympic season. So has anyone got the Olympic fever? Yeah, go Olympics, right? We're all watching the Olympics, and it's kind of this funny, like, thing. All of a sudden, we find ourselves in the Olympics, and we all are becoming, like, big fans of divers, right? Like, last night, I watched diving, and I was glued to TV, cheering like it was a football game. And after he won the gold, I uh, started following him on Twitter. And we're all, like, big fans of things like diving and badminton players and volleyball players and runners. And we live in Wisconsin, and we're supposed to be fans of the real sports, right? We're supposed to be Packer fans, not cheering for people that are the best at exercising. But that's what we do. We cheer for Olympic sports. And I love it, though. I I grew up in Racine, Wisconsin, and uh, my grandpa was a coach. He was a football coach and a basketball coach in Racine. And he believed that gymnastics was fundamental for anyone to have in place to succeed as an athlete. So he would often send his uh, football players to uh, play or to learn gymnastics so they'd get better control of their body and different things like that. And uh, so he started a gym because there was just few opportunities and were seen to do that. So he started a gymnastics gym. So as a little kid, I grew up inside of the gym and I was grandpa's Olympic hopeful. Right? And I don't think I was like some amazing little gymnast. I think all his kids and grandkids were Grandpa's Olympic hopeful. But I was Grandpa's Olympic hopeful, and we did gymnastics, and we're doing all these things. And so I grew up loving the Olympics and watching things like that. And uh, I grew up in this really diverse neighborhood in Racine. And a couple doors down, I had a neighbor that was a first-generation immigrant from Yugoslavia. 
His name was also Bob. And there were three Bobs in our neighborhood. There was Little Bob, Medium Bob, and, and uh, Big Bob. And I was Little Bob. I was always little growing up. And then there was Medium Bob. And then Big Bob was from Yugoslavia. And his mom called him Fat Bob. And she, she would stand on her porch. This guy was huge. And he really was fat. And so she'd, she'd stand there on her porch all day long just yelling and screaming in her thick accent, where's my big, ugly, smelly, fat Bobby, Bobby, Bobby? And she would just be yelling for her fat Bobby to come home and eat some food. And she'd be yelling. And we grew up with just the voice of a Yugoslavian just like ringing through our neighborhood yelling for fat Bob. So we grew up wanting to call him fat Bob too. And my mom thought that wasn't nice. So we called him big Bob. Um, so he was big Bob. Well, Big Bob, one day we're having this conversation about the Olympics, and he told me that the Americans, they stole the gold medal from the Yugoslav. <laughs> and in my little kid's head, I imagine the Americans breaking into their hotel room that night <laughs> and stealing the gold medal from them and, uh, and just thinking, man, these Olympics, this is crazy business, right? I didn't understand what stole the gold meant. But we're in this Olympic season, and Paul... In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he draws together the idea of competing in the games and walking the Christian life that we're supposed to be on. And he's in Corinth, and he's speaking actually of the Corinthian games, which was like second to the Olympic games. It was held every three years, and there were some sports in there that we're familiar with, like running and leaping and spear throwing, but they also had a couple more exotic sports, like chariot racing, which I'm sure was very intriguing, and lots of violence and chariots smashing body parts and stuff like that. And they also had running in armor, so that was another sport back then and sports change and adapt over time. So he's speaking to these guys that understand what he's talking about. And he's speaking of these Olympic Games. Uh, the biggest benefit of winning the Games was you were exempt from taxes for the rest of your life. How does that sound, huh? No more taxes. That sounds pretty good. So Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, right? We get that. You're running a race. All the runners got to run. He says, but only one gets the prize, right? Not all people that run a race win, right? We're not all winners. Uh, he says that the, the person that wins the race, that's the goal. You're supposed to win the race. He says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone just running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer that's just beating the air. No, I take blow after blow to my body, making it a slave. So after I've completed what I'm supposed to do, which he was called to be preaching, he said, I myself won't be disqualified from the prize. And I've been watching these Olympics, and it's amazing to watch these athletes compete. And Paul says that we're supposed to be like that. We're supposed to go into strict training. We're supposed to run like we're supposed to win the prize. That takes determination. It takes motivation. It takes doing the right things. You're not just running aimlessly. You're not just by, you know, boxing the air. No, you're training your body to, to respond and to win. And there's one athlete that's kind of stood out to me in particular this year, and his name is Oscar Pistorius from South Africa. How many of you are familiar with Oscar Pistorius? Kind of a cool story. If you've been watching the games, uh, this guy was uh, born with what's called fibular hemimelia, and it's a congenital absence of the fibula. And so he was born with malformed legs, and he actually had a couple toes only on each side. And so they said, you know, we we can do years and years and years of reconstructive surgery, or 
What's more of a drastic option, but we believe will be the best option for his fruitful life would to be to amputate both of his legs below the knees and get him going on prosthetics. I mean, imagine being a parent and that's your choice. Like, we're going to take off both of his legs, right? And so they decide to do that. In 11 months of age, Oscar was, had both of his legs amputated below his knees. At 13 months of age, he got his first set of prosthetics. And, and the, the guy who's built his prosthetics said, man, this guy trashed his prosthetic limbs. He was always writing on them like it was a cast and giving himself tattoos on them and stuff like that. And he would, when he'd get in the car, he'd just take them and throw them. And, and when he'd go to bed, he'd take them and throw them off. And he was always running and playing. And he was one of three kids. And he said, growing up, I wasn't treated differently than anybody. If my sister got roller skates, I got roller skates. And I learned how to roller skate. If we played kickball, I played kickball kickball. I did all the other things that the other kids did. And he actually ended up being a pretty good rugby player. So he's playing rugby one day and he gets a knee injury. And while rehabbing his knee, he's going through, you know, had to learn to walk again and he had to learn how to run and run faster. And they just, they found out, man, Oscar, this guy can flat run. He's got a world-class talent that we should probably develop. So they started getting him running. And so Oscar starts running and he runs on these things that they call blades and they call them the Blade Runners, his nickname, and he's running on these things, and Nike makes them now and everything, so they made his custom blades and all that stuff, and, and he's running on these, and so many of us were glued to our TVs this past week, watching Oscar run the 400 meter, and we're watching, we're saying, man, look at him go, it's, it's a miracle, right? We're in, and in one sense, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that he had the will inside of him to do that and to succeed. It's a miracle that somebody figured out that he can have a better life if he goes through amputation and gets prosthetics. It's a miracle that a man can make prosthetics and that Nike can make these blades. It's a miracle, and it's a miracle that this happened, that he's competing in the Olympics. But what I think we fail to do is to really think about how God moves in the world that we're a part of. I think we live in a culture that's too quick to think of God more like a genie in a lamp. And if I rub the lamp, I'm supposed to get what I want, and I'm supposed to get it right now, right? We want instant results. We want what we want, and we want it right now. So if I got things that ain't right in my life, God needs to fix it, and he needs to fix it right now. We love Hot Pockets, right? You ever eat Hot Pockets? Growing up, I ate Hot Pockets. Hot Pockets are awesome. They're, they're delicious. They're very nutritious for you. <laughs> And you get them instantly. You put them in the microwave and it comes out and it's so good and it's so densely packed with calories that will stay with you for the rest of your life. <laughs> High quality calories in those hot pockets. But we love our microwaves and we like our fast food and our drive through windows and we like our God to be the same way and we kind of like this instant results kind of thing. But it's not really the way God always moves in the world that we're a part of. Because think about Oscar. Oscar wasn't running for the first time that day, was he? No. Oscar had put in the time. He put in the thousands and thousands of runs prior to that. So when it came time to compete in the Olympics, he was ready to win the game. He was ready to compete at that level. He had put in the time. And when he got there... We watched, and it looked like it just came naturally. And we've watched the Olympics and so many of these athletes, and it looks like it comes so naturally to them. Now think about that, just coming naturally. If I right now said, all right, here's what we're going to do. While you were in here, 
I set up a track outside in the parking lot, and I got blocks out there, and I'm going to go out there and run the 400 meter for all of you guys. So bring the cameras and, and get ready, because this is going to be exciting. And if I, you know, I've been watching the Olympics, so I, 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 I know how it works. You're supposed to do this thing. You're supposed to... Clap your thighs, get those muscles warmed up. So I would, you know, I'd clap my thighs. I know you're supposed to get down in the blocks. And I'd get down, and I know that the good, really good runners do this thing, right? <laughs> they do that thing. And if I got down and came off those blocks and ran the 400 meter for everybody here today, you wouldn't be saying, hold on a moment. We need to let more people see this. This, uh, this we got to have an opening ceremonies for this. Four billion people are going to want to watch Bob run the 400 meter. No, it wouldn't happen. There would be no gold. There would be no glory. There would be no cheering, but it would be laughter and it would be booze that the internet campus would be able to hear. And there would be a blown hamstring. And there would be Bob laying on the ground asking for a medic. Because I haven't put in the time. No, when it counted, Oscar did it because he put in the time. And these athletes did it because they put in the time and the training and the disciplines and the things required to run the race. This is the stuff of character. This is the stuff of the fruit of the spirit. This is the stuff of virtue. This is what it looks like when you walk in the spirit. And it takes determination. This is the stuff where Paul said in verse 25 that everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. The Christian life, the narrow road that few will choose to walk down is one on purpose. And it's bigger than simply just rule following, right? It's not rule following, nor is it simply just doing what comes naturally, right? If I did the rule following bit, and maybe what I do is I go get a rule book. So I go pick up like running for dummies, right? And I go and I flip to page 237, and it says what you're supposed to do if you want to run a 400 meter at a world-class pace today, right? The page doesn't exist. It's bigger than just rules, and it's bigger than just doing what comes naturally. But the Christian life is done where you're working towards something in your life that's a second nature. Uh, there was a message that was spoken to a group of top-ranking military officials, and he spoke on courage. Uh, it's a uh, virtue, one of the classic virtues that Aristotle taught on. It's not one of the Christian virtues, but it kind of functions the same way. And he was speaking on courage to these guys, and this was said. He said, courage is not something that happens when someone takes a stiff drink of something and then charges off into battle, swinging a sword around his head. No, that is not courage. That's a mixture of foolishness, fear, and maybe a few other things. Courage is what happens when someone takes the deliberate decision to put somebody's safety in front of their own and then makes that decision again tomorrow and then the next week and the next month and then the next after that and just begins to start doing that as a routine thing in your life so that it becomes a habit of the heart. So that the day, when the day comes that somebody throws a, picks up a grenade and throws it into a group of people, that you instinctively and automatically pick it up and throw it away or maybe throw your body on it to protect everyone and to bring safety. Nobody does that automatically. Nobody is born with the ability to do that. It's when you choose and then choose again to put somebody's safety in front of your own, that when the day comes for your character to be tested, it has been formed and courage is there so that you would do naturally what you would have never done otherwise or if there was simply just a rule in place. God loves to work inside of us 
to develop our character, the fruit of the Spirit, to develop virtue in these things in our lives. Rules are okay, but they're not everything. If we just give the rules, do this, don't do that. No one could follow the rules. Some people are great at following rules, but rules aren't everything. In fact, the New Testament's got plenty of warning against just a rules-based Christian life. So on one end of the spectrum, we've got rules, and on this end, we've got spontaneity. And spontaneity matters, but spontaneity isn't everything. And if you respond out of your first nature, you're going to be like that runner that Paul was talking about where he said, you know, uh, he runs aimlessly. He boxes the air. You're not doing the right things. Real Christian spontaneity is a hard one thing in the Christian life, where by the power of the Holy Spirit, you take these decisions in your life to where your character has been formed. You know, it's like playing an instrument. Uh, I like playing guitar. Um, I don't really like playing piano. But honestly, I'm horrible at guitar. I'm kind of my mom. I'm like my mom, Kathy. Uh, she knew three songs on the piano. We called them Kathy's Classics. And I'm kind of like that. I've got three songs I know on the guitar, but I could fool you for a little bit. You know, it's kind of like the thigh slapping and the leg kicking. I could fool you for a little bit with my guitar playing, but I promise you I'm not a good guitar player. I know one song on the piano, actually two. Um, one song some guy taught me, and I know how to play it for some weird reason. And I could fool you there for a little while as well until you're like, he keeps playing the same song over and over and over over again. And then I can also play Mr. Frog is Full of Hops, which I learned uh, when I was a little kid in, in piano lessons. And I could play that song for you very well as well, but it doesn't sound very nice. So, but musicians are the same way. A musician becomes a great musician by doing the time, by playing the scales, by learning the theory, by taking lessons, by putting in the practice, by learning how to play with a band, all these different things. A great musician does those things. So when it comes time to play the music, it just flows and that there's freedom enjoying that. He's not focused on what his fingers are supposed to be doing, but there's freedom enjoying that. Real freedom in the Christian life is much like that. Paul in Romans chapter 8 said this. He said, therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit. Notice how many times he's going to say spirit in here gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. So he's talking about that Jesus Christ has come and that you had this Old Testament law, the Torah that was in place, and that if you're going to be made right with God, you follow this law. He said it's no longer this Old Testament law that's in place, but it's because of the work of Jesus Christ that we are made just before God. So Jesus comes and fulfills that. He kind of explains a little bit more. He says what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law may be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death but the mind governed by the spirit he says is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor is it able to do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. In you. 
And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him, this is powerful, that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit that lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live by the flesh, you will surely die. But if you live by the spirit and put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. So he says, hey, living by the flesh leads to death, Paul says, and living by the Spirit will lead to life and peace and sharing even in Jesus' glory. And Paul says, you will live. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 9. He said to all of them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. You've got this idea where Paul was even walking through at the very beginning of that section in Romans where he said that you're justified because of Jesus' work on the cross and faith in him. Not because of keeping to the Old Testament law. It's not about that anymore. It's about Jesus. And that Jesus has come and his kingdom has been inaugurated. And if you have faith in him, it's where it starts. But then Jesus over and over and over again talks about continuing to follow him. And salvation looks a lot more like being a follower of Jesus Christ. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple, in other words, following Jesus, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Do you want to be more fully who you were meant to be? Do you want to be more fully yourself? Do you want to be more fully human? Everyone's saying just be honest with yourself, be honest with your feelings, all these things. And the thing is, is that everyone's living for the flesh. Everyone's being honest with who they naturally are. It is tired, it is dry, it's been done, and it's boring. Everyone's doing it. But Jesus says, do you want to be more fully who you were meant to be? Do you want to be more fully yourself? Do you want to be more fully human? He says it starts with denial of yourself. It starts with taking up your cross. It starts with following Jesus. And he says, whoever loses their life will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their very self? And I think so many of us spend so much time just dealing with the stuff of the flesh Paul gives us a list a little later on in Galatians and a couple other places of what that looks like. We'll look at that list in a second. But we spend so much time dealing with this stuff of the flesh. We deal with the byproducts of it. The Bible says that what you sow, you're going to reap, all those types of things. Paul says that it leads to death. Um, We deal with this stuff, and so many of us are just doing these things, dealing with it and doing it. And we're not doing the stuff of walking with the Spirit. And listen to these things that the Bible talks about. Envy, lust, jealousy, anger, fits of rage, 
idolatry, having other gods, other things in your life that you put above of the creator God. We put other things in front of him, and we live in the United States of America, right? We don't wonder where our next meal is coming from. We have a little bit of financial disposal at us. Yeah, we live in a tough economy, but you get that scratch in your soul that's from the divine, and we can easily fill that with things like food or a new shirt or a new couch or a new Xbox game or whatever it is, and we can fill it with these things and trinkets and toys and scratch that itch so easily inside of us. And God says, you're putting other things in front of me. Sexual immorality, selfish ambition, Drunkenness, greed, unforgiveness. Many of us are great at the unforgiveness thing. We're, a lot of us, we're pros at things on this list. And some of them might look like really nasty things. Like if I am, if, I'm a bad, if Bob is a bad boy, it's going to look very nasty. Because that's kind of how I am. That's how I'm wired. My wife, she's great at following all the rules. Her stuff is just going to look a little holier than mine, right? She's going to get the rules and it's going to look more like pride and those types of things. And if Bob's off the rails, it's going to look like the nasty stuff. But either way, these are the things that so many of us spend the time in. And it doesn't sound much like the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't sound much like character. It doesn't sound much like virtue. It sounds like the opposite of virtue, which is what? Device, right? Virtue and vice. And vice, where virtue takes work to build into your life like that example of courage, vice, on the other hand, becomes a habit without even trying. If you just do what you would naturally do and live in the land of vice, you will have a stranglehold on your life that is challenging to get out of. Vice becomes a habit without even trying. And Paul says, if you just do what comes naturally and live by the flesh, it's going to lead to death. So what is the Christian character? What is the virtue? What, is the, what are the fruits of the Spirit that we're supposed to be doing in our lives? Now, before I say much more about that, just quickly, get this picture of a car in your head. And you've got a car. I just drove from the West Green Bay campus over to here. And if I got in my car and I left my keys in my pocket and said, you know what, if I just have enough of that white knuckle and will to get over Tower Bridge over here to the East Green Bay campus, I can make this car move. It wouldn't go anywhere, would it? No, it, it's not about a matter of the will. And like I said, some of us got great wills, some of us got bad wills. But it's not just a matter of the will. It's not about just willing that car to move. No, it's about putting the key into the ignition turning it, letting that car fire. And then while it's running, could you just leave that car alone and say, all right, now we're going to make it over there? No. The car doesn't drive by itself. It requires me to push down on the gas pedal, put my foot to the floor, and put my hands on the wheels and drive the car. The Christian life, the fruit of the Spirit, walking with the Spirit as Paul has been challenging us with, is like that. It's not one or the other. It's not going to every conference and reading your Bible and praying all the time, but you never put your foot on the floor and do the stuff. You never put your hands on the wheel and drive. It's you 
And it's God, and it's God, and it's you, and it's a little bit of a funky thought, but it's both of those things. It's like the runner. The runner doesn't just lift weights and have the right diet and do, you know, certain, he doesn't learn how to slap his thighs and kick his legs. It's bigger than thigh slapping and leg kicking and diet and weights, right? No, he actually puts in the runs. And so being a Christian is you need to find the things in your life that speak to your soul. For all of us, it's going to be prayer. It's going to be communion. It's going to be fellowship with the saints. It's going to be going to church. It might be for you that when you hear the word preached, you're really ministered to in your soul. Maybe you need to download some podcasts and put them on in your car instead of music. For me, I love hearing the scriptures. Uh, My radio actually broke in my car because my oldest son, Dylan, when he was a little kid, thought that the CD player was a quarter slot. So he was storing quarters in there. So my radio doesn't even work in my car. So what I do is I take my iPhone and I push play on the Bible. And then I put it up on my dash and it acts like a little speaker. And I listen to the Bible while I drive. Or sometimes I listen to preaching or different things like that. But you find some things. Maybe it's some of the classic disciplines like like, uh, meditation, solitude, fasting, These different things where you build those into your life, where you're spending time to be fed, where your soul and your spirit is being ministered to. And then it also is putting in the runs. It's actually choosing to love, actually choosing to forgive, actually choosing some of these things in your life so that when the time of the game comes, you've put in the time, you've put in the runs. We need to practice these things in our life as well. Paul, here's three classic ones from him. In 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. And then he centers in on love. He says this, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And Paul says there's a day coming where Jesus is coming back again. He's come. His kingdom has been inaugurated. We are justified because of his work and that there is a thin line between heaven and earth and that Jesus is coming back again. But now it's like looking into a reflection in a mirror. It's like looking through a glass dimly. We can kind of see it, but we know it's not quite yet. But this is the stuff we begin to practice in our lives right here, right now. And it'll be the language we speak someday. But until that day, we get to practice that language. We get to practice singing these songs. And one day, these will be the songs that we all sing. Where we get, but right now, we get to see Jesus' kingdom begin to peek through our lives in the Bible. It said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what are some of those things? Love. Faith, hope, long-suffering. That means suffering for a long time. Patience, forgiveness, joy, goodness, self-control, and putting these things in our lives. If you're here today and you would say, man, I've got some dark places in my life. I've got some of these nasty things going on. I'm practicing these. I keep dealing with these, and I'm not doing any of this stuff. My encouragement to you today, find that place where you connect with God and do that. And practice those things in your life so that someday we can resonate with this. Where Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4 and 7, it says, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I have kept the faith. This is where you find real freedom and joy in the music of life. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for those that are here today. 
God, that have your spirit inside of them, that are your sons and daughters, Father. I pray that we would be encouraged to walk by the Spirit. Your scripture said that if we walk by the Spirit, it leads to life and to peace. It's sharing in your glory, God, that we are your adopted sons, that our spirits cry, Father, to you, that it resonates within us. I pray that we would practice the things in our life, God, that speak to our soul, that like that athlete goes into training, Father, that we would go into that training. Father, I pray that where those areas are dark, that it wouldn't just be a life of scooping buckets of darkness out of the room, but Father, that we would turn the light on of the Spirit, the power source. It's not us that power the vehicle to go, Father. It's your Spirit that contains the fuel. It's your Spirit that has the fire. The very Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is living within us, Father. I pray that we would practice those things in our lives. I pray that we would build the disciplines in our life that are required, that like that athlete goes into strict training, that we would do the same thing, Father. I pray that it would be by your power, not by ours, Father. We're we're weak, Father. You said you would be strong. And for those that don't know you today, Jesus, I pray that they would accept this beautiful gift of Jesus Christ who came as God in the flesh to save us, to offer us salvation, to offer us justification, to offer us eternal life, and to be more fully who we were meant to ever be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.